You are listening to the Central Church Podcast. To learn more about Central Church, including our gathering times, please visit GoCentralChurch.org. Today's talk comes from Pastor Ethan Crowder. Well, good morning. Prophet Isaiah tells us that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. So if you have a copy of God's word, go ahead and meet me in Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. If you don't have a copy uh, of the Bible with you, you can grab one out of the pew in front of you. We'll have the verses on the screen as well. Uh, And I am excited to be with you here this morning. I just want to say, let's go, right? Uh, It's a good day to be here at Central. Um, so the year was 1792. Now maybe you're, you're asking, maybe you're wondering, well, what does 1792 have to do uh, with me today, with us today? Uh, well, in 1792, William Carey, one of the two fathers of the modern missions movement, he preached a sermon that has long been forgotten except for one sentence. Now in the 1790s, a guy named William Carey and a guy named Andrew Fuller, they had decided that they were going to start what was called the Baptist Missionary Society. And they were going to take the gospel to the nations. And so they start going around preaching, uh, trying to raise funds, raise money uh, for uh, William Carey to go and take the gospel to Burma. Uh, and as William Carey's traveling around, uh, he's preaching at different places, and the sermons have long been forgotten to time. We, we don't know what he said in every place, but we have one sentence that has survived. And that one sentence is this. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. Now, Carey was convinced that we can do great things for God's glory because we can expect him to do great things in and for us. In that sentence, that phrase, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God, really summarizes the passage that we're looking at this morning here in Ephesians chapter 3. In many ways, uh, Ephesians 3 is the Apostle Paul calling us to see God clearly so that we can see our place in the world accurately. Now, as we look at this passage, what we see is we see Paul showing us that we can have confidence in God's work in us because he is committed to his glory in the world. And we can have God's we can have confidence in God's work in us because he is committed to his glory in the world. And here in Ephesians three, we're going to see Paul unpack that for us a little bit more. So let me invite you to stand as we honor the reading of God's perfect and precious word here in Ephesians chapter three. The spirit says to us this morning, beginning in verse 20, not to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. According to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is God's word. You can be seated. Would you pray with me? Uh, Father, we are grateful to be here this morning. Lord, we're grateful that the gospel is true. We're grateful that your word is living and sharper than any two-edged sword. And so, Father, we pray this morning that you would do wonderful things, that you would do great and mighty things, things that we don't even know to ask for, things that we can't even imagine. But, Father, you can, you know, and you answer them. And so, Lord, we pray that you would do what only you can do today. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, and we ask these things. Amen. 
As we look here at Ephesians 3, we see two key truths. The first truth is this, is that God's power has no limits. God's power has no limits. In fact, we, we can truthfully say that a God with limits is really no God at all. Part of what makes God God is that he can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants, right? No one can stop him. No one can come against him. No one can thwart his will. And no one is too strong. No one is strong enough to keep God from doing what only God can do. Now, as Paul's writing this, he's writing to the church at Ephesus. He's writing to this church that of the churches that are addressed in Scripture, that if you're going to be a member, if you're looking for a church that is addressed in Scripture, you would want to go to Ephesus. You would want to go to the Ephesian church. They were seeing the Lord do great things. And so Paul's writing to them to encourage them, and he's writing in chains, He's in prison for preaching the gospel and he's heard about what's happening in Ephesus, what's happening to the Ephesians. And so he writes to encourage them and to explain a little bit about what he is seeing. And so he writes because he's seeing that Jews and Gentiles are coming to faith. And he writes and he tells the Ephesians, look, that it's not Jew and Greek or Jew and Gentile, but in Christ there is one new man. And he begins to explain the gospel. He begins to apply the gospel to the Ephesians. And as he's thinking about this gospel, as he's thinking about what only God can do, he has to stop and he just has to give God glory. Right? Maybe, maybe you've had that happen in your life before where you see God working, you see him active, and you just have to stop and, and give him glory for what he's doing. We were singing all creatures of our God and King earlier. I just, like giving God glory, I need to stop and give him a little bit more, right? Like I was about to take off running or something, right? That song just, just hits in the right way. And, and so Paul's writing and he's got to stop because he's driven to worship. See, ultimately, when we think about the gospel, when we meditate on the gospel, when we consider the gospel, that's where the gospel takes us. It takes us to worship. If we can think about the gospel and not be led to worship, then something has gone terribly, terribly wrong. That's where the gospel takes us. We don't come in here on Sunday mornings and sing just because we have nothing better to do. We don't come in on Sunday mornings and sing because we need to fill the time or because we just like to sing or because we have talented musicians. No, we sing as a response to what God has done in Christ through the gospel of Jesus. Right? We sing because that's what the gospel drives us to. Now, that's not to say that worship is only in singing, but if you can come in here and you can hear the words of the songs that we sing, lifting up the gospel and not be moved to celebrate with your brothers and sisters, then something has gone wrong. Right? We're not singing just because we like it, right? I, 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 we're not singing because we're just great musicians and great singers. I can tell you that I am not a great singer. Right? But we sing as a response to what God has done and what God is doing. And so Paul begins in verse 20, reminding us that what, what, it God, what he's about to say is true of God and only God. Look at verse 20. Paul starts with this phrase Now to him who is able. Notice what he says. He says, To him who is able. He doesn't say, To you who are able. Or to we who are able, or to us who are able, or to them who are able. 
No, it says to him who is able. See, the one who can do more than we can imagine is God. Paul's confidence is in God and God alone. And so this, this drives us to ask this question, right? Where is your confidence? Where do you find your confidence today? Where do you turn when your life is difficult? Where do you run to find comfort? Where do you find your satisfaction? If the answer to every one of those questions is your husband or your wife or your kids or your family or your job, your career, your hobby, whatever it may be, then your confidence is not ultimately in Christ, but it's in all of those other things. Right, I would love to stand before you this morning and tell you that, that my confidence is only and always in Jesus Christ, but that wouldn't be true because I find myself drifting from one way or another, right? The, the song says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. Because I'm prone, you are prone, we are prone to drift from finding our confidence in Christ to finding our confidence in everything else. And so Paul's calling our attention back. He's saying, no, your confidence must be in Christ. You need to find your confidence, your satisfaction, your comfort in Jesus. See, Paul's confidence is in God because he knows that God works. And as we, we look here at verse 20, we see the the what and the how of God's power. So first, the what. What can God do? Look here at verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. In other words, Paul has the ability and the capacity. God has the ability and the capacity to do what only God can do. One commentator said it this way. He says, whatever God can do, he unquestionably will do if he has promised it. This means that we never have to wonder if God can do what is best for us. And we never have to wonder if he will do it. Right? We never have to wonder, well, can God really do that? Would God really do that? Will God really do that? No, God can do it. See, the truth is that God is for us. Romans 8, 31 and 32 tells us that if God is for us, who can be against us? If God has not spared his own son for us, will he not also with him freely give us all things? Right? God is for us, and if he's for us, and he wants what's best for us, and he wants what's going to bring him glory, then we never have to wonder if God can do it or will God do it. Paul says that, that God can do far more abundantly. That word that we translate far more abundantly, it literally means infinitely more. Now, this word is rarely used in the New Testament. It's used two, three, maybe four times. And what it, it carries with this idea of the highest form of comparison imaginable. And so what Paul is saying is that your biggest ask, your highest aspiration is not beyond God's ability to answer. And so maybe you're wondering, well, hey, should I, should I pray for this? Can God really do this? Can God really do that? Well, his word is clear is that he can, right? He's able, he can do far more abundantly than all that we ask, than all that we think, than all that we can imagine. See, our prayers are not too big. Our prayers are too small. 
Because our God is an infinitely powerful, infinitely holy God. F.F. Bruce said this. He said, his capacity for giving far exceeds his people's capacity for asking or even imagining. Now, I, I came to bring you good news this morning, but I do have to share some bad news with you. And it's this, that Christmas is 103 days from today, all right? Uh, it's 13 shopping weekends. Uh, so I hope that you are preparing. I hope that you are ready. Uh, my kids have been preparing for this Christmas since December 26th of last Christmas, right? Uh, they are constantly saying, oh, I want this for Christmas. I want that for Christmas. And if it's not that I want this or that for Christmas, it's I want this for my birthday or I want that for my birthday. Now, last year, something new happened. I was sitting at home minding my own business and uh, the mail was delivered and in the mail, never seen anything like this before, came a catalog from Amazon. And this wasn't just any catalog from Amazon, this was a toy catalog from Amazon. <laughs> and so uh, I have, uh, I've got four kids and three of them know what Christmas is, one of them knows who mommy is, right? Like she, she's excited about mommy, the other three are excited about Christmas. And so Haddon, our oldest, he got a hold of this catalog. And he was five at the time. Uh, he couldn't read, but he could see, right? He could look. And so uh, Haddon took that catalog and he studied that catalog for days. He would take it to bed with him at night and he would look at it at night and he would, he would fall asleep holding this catalog. And after he had studied this catalog carefully, after he knew the ins and outs of this catalog, then he came to us and he said, I need a pen. Right. And maybe you know where this is going. Haddon takes that pen and he starts circling everything he wants. Right. Page by page, circling and circling. And then he would go back and he would look through it and he would realize, oh, I forgot to circle this. Right. And he would circle something else. By the end of it, every toy except for the baby dolls was circled. Right. <laughs> and he, he brings it to, to me and Anna and says, here's my Christmas list. Right. Here's here's what I want. See, Haddon's problem wasn't his ability to ask. It was my ability and willingness to provide, right? The problem wasn't that Haddon didn't know what or how to ask. The problem was that I couldn't do it. But see, when we bring our prayers to the Father, the problem is flipped. It's not his ability to provide, it's our ability to ask. And it's not even necessarily our ability to ask, but it's maybe our lack of faith in asking, right? That will God really do? Would God really do? Has God really said? Well, can I remind you who the first person to say, has God really said was? Genesis 3, right? That's the serpent in the garden. See, it's never true that our God doesn't have the ability to deliver. He always has the ability to deliver. But our problem is in, is in our ability to ask. See, there's nothing so great that you could ask for that God could not deliver. Now, maybe immediately when you hear that, you start thinking about what about my unanswered prayers? What about the thing that I've been praying for for days or weeks 
or months or years or decades. If God can do all of this, if, if there's nothing that's too big for him, well, then why hasn't he answered that prayer? If he can do exceedingly and abundantly more than I can ask or think, then why hasn't he answered? Well, ultimately, I can't answer that question. Right? God's ways are higher and better than our ways. Right? The secret things are his, the revealed things are ours. But when we have those things, those prayers that, that we pray and we pray and we pray and we plead for and we plead for and we plead for and we ask and we ask and we ask and God doesn't answer, we need to remember a few things. We need to remember that God is good, right? God is righteous. God is holy. God is perfect. And God is powerful. And if God has not said yes to that prayer, then he's doing it ultimately for your good and his glory. Right? Because even in the suffering, even in the pain, God is conforming you into the image of his perfect son, Jesus. And so maybe you've been praying for years that God would save your husband. Maybe you've been praying for years that God would save that friend. Maybe you've been praying that, that he would heal you or he would heal this person. Maybe you've been praying that, that the Lord would, would give you a, a son or a daughter. And, and maybe you've been praying those prayers and, and it just hasn't happened yet. Remember that God is good and God is holy and God is righteous. And remember this that God loves you more than you know, right? And God will stop at nothing to give you exactly what you need. He, he will stop at nothing to give you what you need to conform you into the image of Jesus and to bring glory for the situation in your good. And so we see in this passage, we see what God can do. Next, we see this. How does God work? How does he do this great work? Look back at verse 20 with me. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, and here's how he does it, according to the power at work within us. So how does God do this great work? He does it according to the power at work within you. And notice that this power is already within you. It's already active. It's not a power that's natural to us, right? It's, it's not a power that we are just born with. It's not a power that we just need to tap into. It's not a power that we just naturally have. No, this power that Paul is talking about here, this is the Holy Spirit. The, 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 the power that is at work in you by him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, this power isn't something that you can just well up inside you, right? No, it's the spirit at work in you. And so how do you get the spirit? Well, if you've trusted Jesus to save you, then his spirit is at work in you. If you've trusted that Jesus has lived a perfect life, that he's died in your place, taking the penalty that you deserve for sin, and he rose again three days later, conquering sin, conquering death, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father right now, interceding for you, then you have access to this power. And here's the thing. Well, we don't need anything else. There's nothing that you and I lack. If we have God's word and God's spirit with God's people working in us, then we have everything we need to see the Lord do great things. Now here is the question. How strong is the Holy Spirit? Well, the same spirit that is at work in you and me is the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. 
It's the same spirit that changed Paul from a persecutor to a pastor. It's the same spirit at work in Tory who was baptized in our 930 service. Right? The same spirit at work to raise Jesus from the dead, to turn Paul from persecutor to lover of the church, to save sinners is the spirit that's in work in you to see the Lord do great and mighty and wonderful things that you don't even know to think and that you don't even know to ask for. Now, here's the truth. This Holy Spirit is not active in some Christians and dormant in others. He's not potential in some and effective in others. There's no such thing as an asymptomatic Christian, right? The Spirit is at work in you. So if you've put your faith in Christ, then the Spirit is working. Even when you don't feel it, even when you don't see it, the Holy Spirit is working in you and in me to accomplish God's purposes for our life. Maybe you're saying, Ethan, but I don't feel the Spirit working right now. I don't feel the Spirit doing anything in my life. I don't feel the Spirit making me any more like this or like that. I see the Spirit working in that person over there or in that person over there or in that place over there, but I just don't feel it right now. Well, here is the truth, that if you have trusted Christ, then even when you don't feel it, the Spirit is working in you and on you. If you belong to Jesus, then there's nothing you can do to get away from the Spirit's work. Now, there are things that you can do to quench the Spirit, right? And so if you, if you are seeking, if you're looking, well, where is the Spirit at work in me? I just don't feel it. Well, the first place to start is praying, ask the Lord to show you what in your life might be hindering the work of the Spirit. What unconfessed sin, what hidden sin that you might have in your heart that you're not even aware of, what sin is preventing the Spirit from working in and on you? Because ultimately, our sin builds that wall, right? Uh, our sin puts the brakes on the Spirit's work. Are you abiding in Christ? Are you walking with Jesus? You pray that prayer, you walk with Jesus, and then you trust that the Spirit is working in and on and through you. Because here's the truth. Though you might not see the Spirit working, maybe you don't feel the Spirit working in you right now, 10 billion years from now, we'll be around the throne, worshiping the Father, and we'll look back and we'll remember September 12th, 2021, and we'll see the 10,000 things that the Spirit was working in our hearts and in our lives in that moment. And that we were aware of maybe two or three or four of those things. Right? The Spirit is active. And so we can have confidence in God's work in us because he's committed to his glory in the world. And we see that God's power has no limits. Next we see this, that God's glory has no end. God's glory has no end. So Paul finishes this section, this section of praise, this doxology in the only way that is appropriate, by giving all glory to God. The glory goes to the one who is able. So we can have confidence in God's work in us because he's committed to his glory in the world. And Paul shows us, well, what does this glory look like? In verse 20, we have the, the what and the how of God's work. And here in verse 21, we have the why. 
The why does God work? Why would God work like this? Why does it delight God to do far more abundantly than we can ask or imagine? Well, it delights God to answer the prayers of his people, to work in the hearts and the lives and the churches of his people because he knows that through it, he'll get the glory. See, he does it to show his great power and his great worth to the watching world. And so Paul prays that God would be glorified in two ways. Look at verse 21. He says, to him be glory in the church. Now it makes sense given the context of this letter because Paul's writing to a church about unity in the church. And so he starts praying that God would be glorified in the church, in the body of Christ. See, the church is the seat of God's glory in the world. Or to say it another way, the church is ground zero for God's glory in our world. If the church isn't giving God glory, then who will? Right? That's what we've been called to. That's why we exist. We exist to give God glory. We exist to give God glory by making disciples of all people who then turn around and give God glory and make disciples of all people who then turn around and give God glory and make disciples of all people. That's why we're here. Right? That's why we exist. We don't exist to be a social club. We don't exist to do some good works in our community. We exist to bring God glory by taking the gospel to the nation and to the nations, right? We exist to give God glory by taking the gospel to our neighbors and to our friends and to our family members. See, something special and significant happens when God's people gather to worship him. Different backgrounds, different walks of life, different generations coming together to worship our God who is worthy. Right, there's something special that happens in this room on Sunday mornings is God's people gather together to worship him in his grace and his glory and his goodness. Because as we look around this room, we see people from different backgrounds, different ages, different generations, different in probably every way that we can imagine. They tell me that there are seminal fans they let in here to worship, right? <laughs> We're different. But we come together under the banner that Jesus is worthy of our worship, right? That Jesus is worthy of our praise. We come in this room as an overflow of what we've been doing all through the week, right? We come in this room to be reminded that the gospel is true, that God is good, and that Jesus is worth it, right? So there's something special that happens when we come together. Paul says, glory to God in the church. And then he says, look at verse 21 with me. Tim, be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. He prays that God will be glorified in Christ. Now, Jesus is the head of the body, the church. And so when God is glorified in the church, he's glorified in Christ Jesus. So these aren't two different kinds of glories. If there's glory in the church and then glory in Christ Jesus. No, when the body glorifies, the head is glorified, right? That there's glory to God in the church and in Christ Jesus. Now, how long does this glorifying last? Well, Paul says forever and ever. There's never a moment when God does not deserve glory. 
In fact, when you read here in verse 21, Paul says forever and ever. And then he says, amen. And what that was is that was a like kind of a verbal cue because this letter would have been read out loud. But when whoever was reading it would say amen, then the congregation would say Amen. Right. Right. So when you hear preaching, you should say amen a lot. Right. That's a, that's what Paul is telling us here. Right. This glory, this glorifying God lasts forever and ever. What this means is that there's never a moment in eternity past or eternity future when God does not deserve glory. See, even in eternity, the church will be glorifying God. So in a very real way, what we do today is preparing us for eternity. So what we do in here is a little taste of heaven, right? What we do in here is preparing us for the eternity that awaits us. Now, maybe you say, Ethan, but you're saying that we're, we're just going to glorify God for all eternity, right? That, that sounds confusing. Or that's, what, what does that mean? Does that look like? Well, we need to be reminded that right now we see through a glass dimly, but soon we'll see in HD, right? Soon we'll see in 3D. See, soon we will see perfectly that Jesus Christ is the most beautiful, the most wonderful, the most magnificent thing that we could ever lay our eyes on, that we could ever behold, that we could ever worship. Soon there's coming a day when we will see Jesus as Jesus is. And our thought will not be, oh, I'm going to worship him for all eternity. Our thought will be, obviously, I'm going to worship him for all eternity, right? Obviously, I'm going to spend my days at his feet. Obviously, I'm going to spend whatever I have so that I can see and be and magnify and lift up Jesus Christ. Because when you see Jesus as Jesus really is, is, then that's the only thing that makes sense. See, when you see God for who God really is, then the only thing that makes sense is worship, is glorifying him forever and ever and ever. And so then the question becomes, not I have to, but I get to, right? Because he's worth it. He's worthy of our worship. And so as we think about moving onward, we need the spirit-inspired words of Paul here in Ephesians chapter 3. We need to be reminded that we can have confidence in God's work in us because he is committed to his glory in the world. See, God's power has no limits. His glory has no end. Here's the thing. As a church, we're walking into some unknown territory. Right, for the first time in 11 years, we came to church today with no lead pastor. But here's the truth. I'll remind you, you heard this last week and the week before and for the last 11 years that the hero of Central Church is not Alan Brumbach. The hero of Central Church is and always has been Jesus Christ, right? He hasn't left us. He hasn't forgotten us. He goes before us. He goes with us. He comes behind us. See, the good news for us is that our God is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask, all that we think, according to the power at work in us. So yesterday we celebrated the, or not celebrated, we remembered, right, the 20th anniversary of the terrorist attacks on September 11th. And this week, as I was thinking about that day that was coming, as I was thinking about Saturday, I, I, I had this thought. That on 9-11, heroes weren't made, but they were recognized, right? 
And you don't just decide that, hey, I'm going to have courage one day. No, you already had it. And so I started reading some of the stories about these heroes. And many of them were stories that, that you've probably read or you've probably heard that maybe you're familiar with. And one of those stories that uh, seemed to make the rounds a little bit more this year than in years past was the story of Todd Beamer. Maybe you read that story. Maybe you've, you've heard that story before. Uh, Todd Beamer was on United Flight 93. Uh, he was part of the heroic group uh, that saved that plane from flying into something like the White House or the Capitol Building. And instead, uh, those heroes gave their life uh, so that that plane would go down in a rural field in Pennsylvania. And as I was reading this story, I was reading about how uh, Todd got to a phone. And he called 911 and he let them know what was going on. And they connected him with an FBI agent. And so they are all talking. And uh, Todd Beamer goes away for a little, comes back and he says, all right, we've decided that we aren't just going to sit by. We're going to do something. We're going to take this plane over. And the 911 operator asked if there's anything that she can do. And he says, yeah, I want you to call my wife. And I want you to tell her that I love her. And I want you to call my two boys and I want you to tell them that I love them. And then this was the new part for me that I hadn't heard until this year. And then he says, I want you to pray with me. And so they say the Lord's prayer. And then they say the 23rd Psalm together. And then maybe you know the last words we have recorded from Todd Beamer. You can hear him say on the recording, are you guys ready? Let's roll. See, we don't know exactly what lies ahead. They, those heroes, they didn't know what lies ahead, but they knew they were going into danger, right? They, they didn't know how it would turn out, but they had an idea. And we as a church, we don't know what lies ahead for us. We don't know where the Lord might be taking us. But what we do know is that the one who is able to do far more abundantly than we can ask or imagine, he is the one who is on our side. And so when we think about that, right, the only question that we can ask is, are you guys ready? Right? Let's roll, right? right? That's what the Lord is calling us to today, right? That we, whatever might happen, wherever he's taking us, we know, one, that he's taking us to where we need to go. He's taking us where it's best for us to go. And he's not going, we're not going alone, right? We're going with him. And so I think the only answer for us today is when we remember that the one who is able goes with us, then the only thing we can say is let's roll, right? Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we are grateful for the gospel. God, we're grateful that your word is true. Father, we're grateful that you can do far above, far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think or imagine. And so, Father, I pray that that would drive our faith today, that that would sustain our faith as we go. Father, I, I pray that we would be reminded of that over and over and over again, that what we're praying for, what we're asking for is not too big, but it's too small. And so, God, I pray that you would make our prayers God-sized prayers. And God, I pray that over the next few months, as we walk through this season, God, I pray not that you would do central-sized things or Ethan-sized things. I pray that you would do God-sized things in the life of our church. Father, I pray that you would do what only you can do.
We pray this and we ask this in Jesus' name. Thank you again for listening to the Central Church Podcast. For more information on how to take your next step, visit us online at gocentralchurch.org.